Hello, welcome to Babelfish, the podcast for humanists, three thinkers, and atheists. My name is Christina Kahn, and I'm your host. I will be talking to non-believers around the world. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Thank where you. Where I will be talking to Mansi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I will be able to pro- pronounce your last name. Yeah, Surumani. Surumani. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and welcome. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Okay, uh, I'm glad to be here, firstly. Yeah? My name is Manzi Surumani, as I've said. I'm Ugandan. Yeah. And I am uh, going to be 27 in two weeks. Okay. So I'm part of that demographic. That is... The young ones. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Referred to as uh, the dividend that the the continent has to tap into, so to speak. And uh, I I am someone who has been faithless so to speak or non-religious for Mm -hmm. close to three years now yeah so this is something that i have entered into in my adulthood really my young adulthood i come from a family in which i am the only child okay that's uh, rare yes it's quite seldom here yeah Yeah, so i have had uh, a bit of a unique upbringing Mm. uh, for for my part of the world so that is pretty much where am I am uh, a civil engineer yeah. by practice. So I spend my time around construction sites, but okay. I also take a lot of pleasure in being part of communities that discuss ideas mm. and try to care about uh, the mind and how yeah. to improve the mind. Okay. Mm. So, but you grew up in a religious family. Yes, very yeah. much, very okay. religious. Mm. Uh, what background is that? Catholic or this is Anglican. 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 Okay. Yes. Your whole family is Anglican. Mm, yes, my okay. whole family. There is uh, a reformist movement within Anglicanism, which okay. is very popular in this part of the world, which is a, a form of evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. or Pentecostalism. Yeah. And so, a growing minority of the family is now Pentecostal. Okay. Yeah, but the traditional faith is Anglican. Okay. Mm. So, and have you always doubted uh, the, your faith when you were young, or? No, I I didn't have opportunity to doubt. I okay. guess, and any tendency to doubt things just seemed to make sense in that context. Yeah. And I never had uh, any exposure to ideas or books that caused me to doubt. I went to church every Sunday mm. uh, and Sunday school from a very young age and later church when I grew older. Okay. I was uh, quite committed uh, as a believer. I sang in the choir. Mm. I prayed and tried to read the Bible. But uh, at university, I then got exposed to books and friends and other sorts of opinions mm-hmm. that had a very radical departure mm. from my traditional yeah. knowledge base. Okay. And that is when this window of doubt and skepticism opened up to me. And the process was pretty rapid after that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So so it was you started at university at and university. then you met... I met friends, yeah. I, I encountered books... And I encountered the internet as well, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the internet, which has a whole garden and endless uh, 
raft of of opinions mm. yeah and once you start hearing opinions that pique your curiosity mm-hmm. then you just keep looking for more and looking for more and yeah for me i suppose at the time uh it made very quick sense to realize that the foundations of my religious beliefs were very weak mm. if not in existence okay uh, yeah mm-hmm. and that was primarily the books or the internet or was it a group of people or it was, was it any specific thing mm, that it happened? was it was a combination of two yeah. things so uh in my first year of university i joined a group of poets around yeah. town called the london meet of poets and these were young open minded people who were brought together by poetry but in their discussion of poetry they explored themes mm. you know that varied from love to philosophy to yeah. uh, angst angst about the human condition mm-hmm. and i was able in that space to start interacting with ideas in a way that was not choreographed mm-hmm. or calibrated towards a particular philosophical or religious orientation. Yeah. And so while they did not set out to deconvert anyone or cause them to be faithless, the exposure of having open-ended conversations and being willing to question mm. some of the most deeply and Uh, almost militantly held beliefs mm. allowed the genuine seeker to now start uh, reflecting on these conversations yeah. themselves and slowly and now when later I, I chanced upon the internet and people like uh, Christopher Hitchens yeah. and Sam Harris I think I was prepared yeah. to now start taking their ideas seriously and being able to have the intellectual fortitude mm. so to speak mm. to understand exactly what yeah. they were saying mm. yeah okay because yeah. it's quite interesting that you don't learn critical thinking in school no we don't yeah. <laughs> it's we really different really. from my country okay because it's it's some of those things that we say we need to learn our kids mm-hmm. in school is the critical thinking yes. and the questioning yes how so to doubt how, how to, to doubt it's okay to Yeah. to ask questions, mm-hmm. seek knowledge. Yes. So it's really very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's kids, true. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Looking back, uh I suppose I was a little luckier than most. I was interested in the humanities growing mm-hmm. up and uh, my parents were not very rigid. Okay. Uh they spoiled me a bit probably because I was an only <laughs> kid. That's yeah. a luxury that many of my peers don't get in yeah. this part of the world. So the demands for me to toe the line hmm. were a little reduced as long as you didn't burn the house down or do anything. Okay. You probably could get away with a <laughs> bit, yeah. <laughs> a bit. So I could watch the television for extended hours. Hmm. Um my mother was a teacher so she brought me books from school. Okay. Uh and I was able to develop a love for ideas and reading. Yeah. It's just that the ideas I was exposed to then were not very liberating but I was curious I had a yeah, curious yeah. mind and this is not something that many young people in this part of the world develop no. uh ali they don't have the opportunities for these things we don't have public libraries the reading culture is very poor and mm. getting worse uh, mm. by the year so the humanities are something that is frowned upon it doesn't pay well anyway mm. for you to be a writer or no. be a, a 
talker or anything. Yeah. It's usually journalists uh, or lawyers in the humanities that can be able to make a living. The rest are uh, not well paid. So it's not encouraged for kids to mm. take that line. No. It's usually the applied sciences, be an engineer or mm. a doctor or some or a technician. Yeah. Work with your hands. Yeah. yeah. So the education system and the, the social and cultural fabric have conspired Mm. either deliberately or yeah. uh, <laughs> accidentally yeah. Yeah, to sort of uh, take the attention and interest of young people away mm. Mm, oh, okay. mm, from that. So uh, did you get involved in one of the organizations while you studied Haley or? No, no, I didn't. We, I didn't even know that there was such uh, an organization okay. because it's its footprint and its voice mm. were small and low at the okay. time. So at the university, the best that one could get involved in in regards to an open-minded idea promoting society was the debate club. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was the debate <laughs> club. And even then, since there were not many believers or, or rather non-believers, mm. you didn't get rigor when mm. it came to debating issues of faith. Okay. It was mostly political and social. So it okay. allowed you room to learn how to express yourself, mm. be confident, research. But uh, when it comes to the specificity of questioning faith, yeah. there was not much incentive for that. Okay. Mm. So did you then at that point in time say, I'm a non-believer? Or was that later? That was a little later, okay. actually, probably a year after university. Okay. So I was in university for three years. Yeah. So I would say my journey from the point of discovering that such a thing as a philosophy and ideology of non-belief exists mm. to the point where I actually convinced myself and felt confident enough then to identify as a non-believer mm. took about four years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And was it difficult? Did you tell? Did you tell your family? Uh, it 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 was a little difficult, I guess, because uh, my mother is a very, I would say, fundamentalist Christian. Okay. She's yeah. evangelical, mm. but not uh, not fundamentalist in the sense that she would. Um, she would disown me okay. or that sort of thing. But just fundamentalist in the sense that she actually believes that her faith is what sustains her. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a slight tension between her and my father. And since marriage is a very important institution to women here, mm. it is one of those uh, places where they find social recognition. Yeah. But also it's an economic sort of uh, guarantor yeah. for women. Yeah. And so that I guess that's why majority of the believers are women in this part yeah. of the world because yeah. they are disempowered and mm. they can only find their empowerment from uh, a religious faith. So she thought of it as a betrayal of the one thing that had mm. seen her through life and okay. enabled her to bring me up. Mm. So I, I was scared of exposing my my departure from faith mm. to her for that reason, because I felt I would break her heart, not yeah. because I, would, I felt there would be a violent uh, okay. response from yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. 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 How did uh, others react? Um, 
Well, others were shocked, my friends. They they took it as a joke, probably, because I had okay. always been a cheeky kid who yeah. went around making uh, very militant declarations about my mm. beliefs, my political beliefs, my yeah. pan-Africanism, my uh, rebellion against society generally. So they thought, ah, this is just a phase, it will pass. <laughs> Yeah. But over time, I now started uh, writing in detail. I had mm-hmm. a blog. Uh, okay. I still have a blog. I haven't been writing very frequently. But for a phase, for the phase when I started having some of these ideas triggering in my mind, I became very, very pro- prolific in my mm-hmm. writing. So I would release a, a very extensive blogs about these things. And they started taking me seriously because they realized it. It was not just reactionary. Mm. I had a certain grounding, intellectual grounding and ability to therefore articulate my beliefs yeah. and probably convince those who, who are willing to read sufficiently and engage mm. in conversation with me. Yeah. So after that, I uh, got my first opportunity to publicly declare in a debate that was organized mm. here at Makerere University yeah. by the debate club. There was... Um, a Nigerian mm. pastor and apologist who was coming into the country as part of some evangelizing mission uh, organized yeah. by a faith-based NGO called uh, African Evangelistic Enterprises. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking around for a vocal non-believer who could engage him in a public debate for the students and the rest okay. of the community. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I got my first opportunity and we faced off in an hour-long debate and the, the the backlash wasn't as bad, I guess. Okay. And I was shocked to find out that some people actually thought that I was just doing it as a kind of academic exercise. And I didn't <laughs> and believe didn't these things. Yet. It. Yes. Okay, yeah. wow, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But since you have been writing a blog, that's also kind of, that's quite visible. Yes, very visible. Yeah. Uh, very visible and... I suppose I have lost a few friends, yeah. not not too many, because um, they realize, and I think that I'm also coming to accept that young people are increasingly not taking their faith seriously, okay. because it doesn't have a direct practical impact on their lives. Mm. It's just something that remains in the periphery that they turn to in times of depression or great challenge, but... Yeah. If it's an average middle class, our middle class here just mm. refers to maybe elites. You've gone to school and have a, a salary or you stay in the town. Yeah. That's what we mean by middle class. So if it's that sort of class, um, they their lives have meaning outside of of their religious okay. beliefs. Yeah. They, they have an education. They have um, goals and ambitions. Yeah. So they are more receptive of new ideas yeah and they are able to compromise and keep friends with people who may not necessarily believe Mm. what they believe because they themselves don't really pay attention to their faith it's just something they do to please their family and their employers yeah Mm. so this might also mean that it would be better in the future if the young generation Mm. don't uh, are not that religious Yes. Times will change. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I think there is a slow progression towards open mindedness, a willingness to question things. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are probably enjoying a bit of the fruits of of, uh, the 30 year long peace Mm. that we've had. We had a very 
troubled political history before yes. yeah before this uh, current president assumed yeah. power so there's a dividend because our population is still young maybe 70% or thereabouts are under 20 or 25 yeah, yeah. so mm. the the large amount or the biggest the majority of the population mm. has actually only experienced peace yes yeah, yeah. you can say they've experienced yeah. peace yeah. yeah so that trauma of, yeah. of our war-ridden past mm. is sort of fading away with yeah. the older generation yeah and uh, since education has been democratized its quality is questionable of course yeah but people can read and write yeah. they can somehow follow a, a basic conversation yeah. and take interest in it and i suppose in an ironic turn of events the emergence of radical pentecostalism mm. has also provided people a demonstration that you can break with tradition yeah so the traditional religions of catholicism anglicanism and islam yeah uh islam maybe not so much because it's a minority religion maybe mm. 10% yeah. 10 to 15% of the population are muslim so 85% are either catholic or anglican yeah So the shaking of the foundations of traditional Christianity by Pentecostalism mm. and evangelicalism has provided young people with an experience in revolution mm. in ideological yeah. and and faith-based revolution. So they it's it's only a natural progression that they will move from Pentecostalism mm. now to actually being secular and open-minded. Okay. Yeah, because they have broken Uh, free of their parents anglicanism and catholicism yeah okay yeah so then it would it's easier yeah, to it's take easier the next step to take the next okay. step yeah yeah and i guess the internet has also helped a lot a lot yeah, yeah a lot mm. um, because that's what i keep hearing that searching the internet finding uh, uh, other non-believers so you yes. see that you're not alone yeah that's true that's, <laughs> That's really important. Very important yeah. actually. Social media I suppose. Yeah. has been uh, a great help across across the board. Mm. And uh, the faith-based conversations have not been spared the benefits of social media. Okay. The ability to know that there are like-minded people mm. out there. There are communities that you can access for brotherhood, sisterhood. Uh, camaraderie yeah mm. <laughs> camaraderie yeah so that sort of of opportunity mm. to easily network and get in touch and share yeah. ideas compare notes is very helpful yeah mm. yeah i could imagine yeah especially also in a country where it takes a while to travel around <laughs> yeah that's true the infrastructure and the, the transport yeah is is not very good no mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you involved in any of the projects uh, currently? Yeah. Yes, I am uh, part of a fledgling society mm-hmm. uh, called Free Inquiry Uganda. Yeah. We just recently incorporated it and formalized it. So we're now trying to build the s- operational structure. Mm. Trying to have strategies for recruitment and yeah. how best we can engage with the wider public and get our voices out there mm-hmm. in in the public domain uh, before that we have been very 
informal, I would say. Yeah. Uh, we have been informal in our operations, very small, mm. very limited in our ability to engage with others. But we now want to take that a step further, and I'm very uh, much involved uh, okay. in these beginning stages. Yeah. Mm. So what will you do? What's your first activities? Um, our f- first planned activity, and it's not concrete yet. No. Yeah, but we are still brainstorming and and uh, bouncing the ideas about in our minds. We think we will try to uh, have more public debates, yeah. especially in universities, mm-hmm. because we think that the environment there may be more receptive to voices of non-believers yeah. in, in an atmosphere of reason mm. and not just trading insults. Because we have a lot of so-called religious debates out there in, in markets and in taxi <laughs> parks, yeah. but it's usually Muslims versus Christians, you know? Okay. And it's propagandizing and insulting each <laughs> other and just, yeah, uh, having very unhelpful and unproductive conversations okay. around scripture. Yeah. The average person out there, so is, they just is, argue. It's yeah. not. It's not really a debate mm. or a discussion. Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the university is then, if that's the only place also where the youngs are taught yeah. other things, then <laughs> yeah, that's sure. the first step. It's it's more yeah. it's more convenient for us to take that step because schools here are really religious, right? They're mm. based on each faith. Yes, I know they are. Some humanist schools, but mm. it's not that many. No, and the rest yet. of the schools are faith-based. Yeah. Faith-based, founded by missionaries. Yeah. Uh, both colonial missionaries and mm. post-colonial missionaries yeah. who are now locals. So that is actually one of the criteria that parents look out for. And so it's it's a marketing factor, you know. So if I'm okay. marketing my school, I'll always say this is a school based on Christian principles. Mm-hmm. And so Christian parents will feel better okay. uh, sending their kids to the school. It's a Muslim school. I'll be targeting Muslim parents. And I say this is a school based mm. on Muslim principles. Yeah. We teach the Quran or this. And parents will feel comfortable bringing. Okay. Because parents feel that morality and value systems are only contained in the religion. Yeah. A kid who is not brought up religious is going to be very errant, very delinquent, and very um, un upright and upright morally speaking yeah okay. yeah, yeah. Mm. so i guess so that could be a challenge in the future the whole school system yes yeah it could be a yeah. big obstacle yeah mm. um, and the, is there any signs that it will change the way it's uh, the stru- the way the school system is structured very little okay very little sign unfortunately uh I haven't paid a lot of attention okay. to this particular area, but my feeling is that uh, there is still a lot of profit to be gained mm. from identifying as religious in yeah, this country. Yeah, you pay for yeah. school. Yeah, you pay yeah. for school. The whole social and economic system is premised on on the profit that can be gained from different things. Mm-hmm. Profit that is gained from being tribal or ethnic, you know, politics thrives a lot on that. Uh, And so religion is one of those other power centers. Mm. There's a lot of profit uh, from it, both in terms of mobilizing people 
quickly, but also both in terms of direct financial gain. So yeah. starting a church is very profitable in a country where youth unemployment is at 83%, according to some sources. Oh, so you'll find nice. younger, yes, yeah. younger men will find it easier to start a church and make a living mm-hmm. than to start a small cottage industry at home and produce yeah. a, a particular good. So there is an incentive. There is a very strong economic incentive for people to be religious. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, it's a vicious cycle when you have more people starting churches uh, then those who have to come to those churches are the poor and oppressed mm. and the message you're selling to them is that you're poor and oppressed because you haven't said the right prayers or you haven't given enough mm. tithe and you are taking attention away from the actual causes of poverty yeah. which is wrong government policy uh, corruption and the dysfunction that comes with that. Yes, inefficiencies. So it's a Mm self-reinforcing wheel and and motion machine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it will take a long time. It will take a long time to break that. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Thank you. It was uh, nice talking to you. It's great pleasure. Thank you as well. I'm (laughs) happy to have shared and good luck Thank you. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Peter, who became a non-believer late in life. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on my blog and on Instagram. See the links on the podcast page. I'm producing this podcast at my own expense. If you're interested in sponsoring it, please contact me. I can use some financial support. Thank you.